I was uh, sleeping and then I heard quite a loud bang around two o'clock in the morning. West Point Gray residents shaken after what sounded like gunshots rang out and where the VPD is focusing its investigation. Plus, it was in the works yard. It was extremely concerning. The devastating damage after a suspicious fire rocks the PE grounds. And an Indigenous leader's concerns about the brutal attack on Coastal GasLink site bulldozing already contentious discussions about the project. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A normally quiet Vancouver Point Grey neighborhood is the scene of a police investigation tonight. As Grace Key reports, officers appear to be focused on a parked vehicle in what VPD will only say is a serious and complex investigation. Vancouver police aren't providing much information on what they are calling a serious incident in the area of West 8th and Discovery Street. They are not confirming at this time if there have been any deaths, but a body bag was seen being loaded into a van and the passenger side window of a white BMW SUV was shattered. At this point, um, we're not in a position to provide any specific details about what happened and we hope to have uh, further information um, as the investigation continues. Um, we know a lot at this point, but we're not able to share a lot of information at this point, simply because it's very early in the investigation. We need to protect the integrity of the investigation, and our officers are out there, our investigators are out there collecting evidence. One neighbor says he saw what looked like a man's body in the driver's seat when police arrived. Another neighbor says he heard several loud bangs Saturday night. I was in my house um, down the block here, and probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock, we just heard pop, 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 pop. And then we thought it's fireworks and we heard some sirens and honking horns. Officers could also be seen with guns drawn early Sunday morning outside a home where the vehicle was parked. Police are not saying at this time what the connection is between the BMW and home. Residents in the affluent West Point Grey neighborhood are surprised to see the police presence. It's quite quiet around here. Um, you don't really hear a lot of loud partying or anything like that. Um, it's a lot of like seniors and young families mm -hmm. that live in the neighborhood. Major Crimes is investigating and additional information is expected to be released in the coming days. Grace Key, Global News. Flames erupted at the site of one of Vancouver's most popular attractions overnight, followed by a series of explosions. And as Kristen Robinson reports, police say the huge fire that engulfed a warehouse at the PE Works Yard was suspicious. In daylight, the devastation is clear. Approximately 20 vehicles damaged after fire tore through this PE works yard. Oh, man. VPD patrol officers oh. spotted the flames just after midnight, engulfing a building which housed equipment and memorabilia. The inferno fueled by flammable materials inside. There was fertilizers, gasoline, propane all kinds of flammable things in the warehouse. Multiple explosions leading to tense moments for horse owners and trainers on the racetrack 400 meters away. I was on the back stretch. You don't know where the fire, if the fire is gonna get contained or it's gonna run along the fence and enter the barn area. Fortunately, no one was hurt and the 200 horses are safe as firefighters quickly attacked the flames. The fire deemed suspicious. Based on all of the evidence, it appears that 
the fire was started by uh, a person. But whether it was arson or an accident is unclear. We're on the ground right now working with the fire department to collect evidence to uh, understand uh, exactly what did happen. It's unsettling news, says Milburn, with training underway at Hastings Racecourse and the season set to start in May. We're going to have 500 horses here, 50 to 60 people in short order within a month on the backstretch, living on the backstretch. And the horses, of course, are contained in stalls. We've got a great fire plan in place, but it's a, it's a big concern, big concern. Despite thousands of dollars in damage, the PE says it could have been worse had it not been for a fast firefight. We've been down, but we've never been out, and this is an unfortunate uh, blow. The PE will bounce back, she says, and no events will be affected. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Now to last week's violent attack at a coastal gaslink pipeline worksite outside Houston in north-central B.C. The RCMP have yet to connect the incident to previous demonstrations in opposition of the pipeline. Tonight, we're hearing more from a Wet'suwet'en hereditary house leader who's shining light on the controversy surrounding the project that's led to divisions within the First Nation. Imadagahi explains. This has uh, clearly been hit with an axe. You can see on the tailgate. There are broken taillights, headlights, and windows. But of the $20,000 of vandalism to this work truck, the most concerning is how close some of the damage is to the driver door. Here you can see he's inches away from the driver's arm, who mm -hmm. was in the driver's seat. Fred Wilson rents mine-ready vehicles to contract workers in the Bulkley Valley area. He says this is one of three trucks damaged in the attack on Coastal Gaslink's Morris River drill site. Because of the availability of parts and shortage of labor and stuff like that, it's going to be hard to get this truck back on the road. Work on Coastal Gaslink's 670-kilometer pipeline has stalled temporarily here as the site is now turned into a crime scene investigated by the RCMP. Police and the company alleged 20 attackers of breaking into the facility overnight Thursday to unleash an assault on heavy machinery, fencing and temporary structures. This is a co coordinated effort um, by multiple people and raiding uh, this platform and uh, assaulting and uh, um, chasing away any workers at the uh, active work site. Coastal Gaslink says nine workers fled to safety. And police have yet to connect this incident to previous demonstrations and opposition to the natural gas pipeline. The incident has now been widely condemned by many, including Wet'suwet'en hereditary subchief Wehaliet. Nobody wants this kind of um, pushing away of opportunities. We need to have opportunities within our nation to sustain us. She explains that the 13 Wet'suwet'en hereditary house groups have the rightful jurisdiction over their nation, but she says some house leaders, especially women who want to work alongside Coastal Gaslink, may be silenced in fears of bullying and intimidation. We do not have a uh, mechanism where we elect or we appoint our spokesperson. We don't have that within our nation. We don't have a president that we can say, go and speak to this matter. As the investigation continues, the RCMP, who has ramped up its presence in the area, stays reluctant to say who it may believe could be responsible for the more than $6 million in damage already estimated.
Amaragahi Global News. The family of Ashley Wadsworth has announced a date for her funeral in Vernon after WestJet offered to fly her body home from the UK where she was murdered. A candlelight vigil was held for the 19-year-old on February 5th in Essex. It was arranged by a woman named Julie Taylor, an anti-violence advocate. More than 150 people attended to honor the young woman who had only been in their community for a few months. Vernon's ceremony will be held on February 23rd at noon. The service will be streamed on Facebook for the wider community. Ashley Wadsworth's body was discovered at a home in Essex on February 1st. Her boyfriend, 23-year-old Jack Seppel, has been charged in her murder. It is curtains for the vaccine clinic at the Vancouver Convention Center. Staff at the makeshift clinic administering their final doses today. Since January, staff at Canada Place have delivered more than 5,000 COVID-19 immunizations a day. Most of them booster shots at this point. Overall, people have rolled up their sleeves more than 600,000 times just at this one site alone. Vaccines are still available, but demand at this site is going down. So it's time to put away the needles, stack the chairs, and reflect on an unlikely place to deliver frontline health care. Having a nursing background, never thought that I'd be at the convention center vaccinating as well. So it's been a great collaboration with uh, the convention center, with PAVCO. It's an obvious sign right now, here we are, that you know the folks that we needed to meet at the convention we've met, and um, hence it's not as busy right now. The B.C. government says it's adding hundreds of new nurse training spots in post-secondary institutions. Colleges and universities are getting money to train 602 additional nurses. That's on top of about 2,000 seats already available to students. The B.C. Nurses Union has warned for years of a critical nursing shortage, a shortage that has only grown worse because of the pandemic. The province says the new training spaces will be geared at registered nurses, psychiatric nurses, nurse practitioners and licensed practical nurses. The nursing uh, shortage has been increasing through uh, retirement as well as people, our nurses are burning out. And what we're asking nurses to do, their role in the system continues to rise. We've doubled the number of nurse practitioner spaces, for example, and very significantly increased the number of nurse practitioners. And in spite of that, there are very significant challenges in the system. Some sad news to report tonight. Fallen Canadian hero Steve Fonio has passed away. Fonio, who lived in Powell River, died Friday in Burnaby. He and his girlfriend had been in town to have work done on his prosthetic leg when he suffered an apparent seizure or aneurysm at his hotel. Fonio, who lost his left leg to cancer at the age of 12, became a household name after completing a cross-country run in the 80s and raising more than $13 million for cancer research. He later struggled with depression, drugs and alcohol and amassed a long list of criminal convictions, including impaired driving, that led to his Order of Canada being revoked. Those close to Fonio say he'd been on seizure medication since 2015 when he was stabbed during a home invasion in Surrey. He had the biggest heart and he loved people and that's why he did what he did. That's why he did everything is because he loved people and... Uh, they loved him back, and he he was loved. You know, he was he had a big heart, and he did everything for love. And 
I think that's how he'd want to be remembered. You really had touched a lot of people. So I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I uh, usually when he'd come to Vancouver, he'd call me and say, I'm coming, I'm going to come and visit you and that kind of thing. But yeah. I guess that won't be happening anymore. But how uh, can I say they say there's better laughter life, so hopefully he'll be happy there. Fanyo's journey for lives began in March of 1984. He finished his epic run in May of 1985 in Victoria, dipping his leg into the ocean off Dallas Road, where the beach was renamed after him. Steve Fanyo was 56 years old. After the break, the latest on another weekend of anti-mandate protests. They do their best to uh, maintain the peace within the crowds. The Pacific Highway border crossing has reopened, but questions remain about the response to repeated blockades. Plus, it's just lovely to be back. And residents return to downtown Ottawa on a quieter Sunday in the nation's capital. The Pacific Highway crossing reopened last night, hours after a convoy of anti-mandate protesters overwhelmed officers at an intersection leading to the border. As Kamil Kermali reports, questions are being raised about just how prepared RCMP were to deal with such an aggressive crowd and what can be done so the crossing isn't continually being shut down again in the future. It was a smaller crowd Sunday, but along with carrying signs and flags, these protesters carried just as much passion as before for ending COVID-19 mandates. Freedom! You know what? I live in communist country! Once again, rallying along the Pacific Highway near the Surrey border crossing. After two years, the mandates seem to be more about social control than about safety control. The border flowing freely Sunday. A completely different story Saturday. The border shut down as hundreds packed the intersection. It was a mostly peaceful protest, except when media showed up. Reporters being swarmed. CBC's team had to be escorted from the mob. CTV's camera catching two men spitting on the camera operator. Our global news team being chased to our car. Protesters were pushed back to allow us to leave. Amid public scrutiny, police insist they were prepared for the crowds, but generally don't step in to make arrests when there's such a large gathering. Sometimes doing enforcement uh, in a crowd that size, whether that be making arrests or issuing violation tickets, uh, can escalate the situation. Police say their serious crimes branch has now opened up an investigation into the treatment of media at Saturday's protest and is looking to speak to some of the protesters involved with possible arrests and charges to follow. Our investigators will work to gather the evidence and uh, and then determine the exact number of incidents that did occur um, and if there will be criminal charges. Surrey businesses not sure if they can handle more border closures. These ongoing protests are really sabotaging the economy, sabotaging our infrastructure and sabotaging the livelihoods of businesses, uh, jobs, and, and families. And in the event of future protests, police say they've been adjusting their game plan to keep the border closed for shorter periods of time, including finding alternative routes around the blockades. You only have freedom if everybody has it. But these protesters say they don't plan on leaving until their message gets across. Kamala Kramali, Global News. 
B.C. government ministers are speaking out in support of Mike Farnworth today. That's after anti-mandate protesters targeted the public safety minister, demonstrating outside of his lower mainland home. The group reportedly showed up on his doorstep before officers were called and moved them off the property. This is not an issue, whether it's a journalist, whether it's an elected person like, such as Mike Farnworth, Mr. Farnworth, whether it's, uh, whether it's healthcare workers in Victoria, whether it's the people of Centretown in Ottawa, we don't have the right to abuse other people and other people's freedoms in the interest of our own freedoms. There are no freedoms without responsibilities. Ontario's police watchdog is investigating an incident involving Vancouver police officers during the operation to clear protesters in Ottawa. The Special Investigations Unit says at around 7.15 Saturday evening, VPD officers allegedly discharged less lethal weapons at individuals in the area of Sparks and Bank Street. Less lethal weapons are firearms that can shoot rubber or plastic bullets. The SIU says no injuries have been reported, but they want to talk to anyone involved. It's also investigating a reported serious injury of a woman in an interaction with a police horse with Toronto's mounted unit on Friday. Ottawa's interim police chief spoke about the incident involving the VPD members. After a successful series of operations yesterday, the number of unlawful protesters has dramatically declined in the last 24 hours. Last night, we continued to have major issues with a group of dispersed protesters in the Bank Street area south of Queen Street. Many of the unlawful protesters continued their unruly behaviour with officers who were attempting to erect barriers and fencing in that area. The actions of the unlawful protesters led to the deployment of an Arwen. We are not aware of any injuries. The officers that have been sent um, some of uh, the most experienced um, public order officers that we have here at the Vancouver Police Department that are uh, very experienced in dealing with uh, crowd control issues and protests simply because we deal with so many protests here in Vancouver every year. A greater sense of calm returned to the nation's capital today as the dust settles on what was a hugely controversial weeks-long protest and police response. Officers in Ottawa say 191 people were arrested and 107 charged in connection with the blockades in the city. As Sean O'Shea tells us, some area residents and visitors are relieved it's over. We're in the Byward Market area. This is normally a very touristy area, an area where locals like to come and have a coffee and do some shopping. And it's an area that's been closed for the last couple of days. And over the last three weeks, uh, things have not been normal down in the downtown because of the trucker convoy, the protest that has occupied most of the downtown area. Uh, we talked to people uh, in this area who were coming out today. Uh, some stopped to talk to us about how they feel that it's good to have their community coming back to normal again. And it's just wonderful to walk out and not have to worry about being actually harassed or harmed. I mean, I've gone out during this whole thing and had someone yell at me, scream at me and say, are you afraid of fresh air or whatever it is to doing that. But now it's a question of, it's just lovely to be back. There's a heavy police presence now, uh, at least, at least it's the police and not a bunch of random people from outside of our city coming in and uh, shutting everything down. Many people who are venturing down here wanted to 
see if they could patronize those businesses. It's, this is all dead. Like, it's like, what's going on? So we're really hoping like things get back to normal soon. Okay, let's walk around. Let's see what's what's going on and see if we can, you know, get a coffee somewhere or walk around and just see what's open. The Rito Centre is usually open 363 days a year. It's been closed since the first Saturday. That's 23 days. Uh, that's $20 million a week just at the Rito Centre. The Rito Centre is kind of the central part when you think of all of the organic uh, elements it brings to businesses along Rito Street and the Byron Market. Police still very present here in the downtown. There are metal fences and concrete barriers and checkpoints uh, all over the center of downtown Ottawa. Uh, access to the Parliament buildings, uh, to the War Memorial, all of that is closed off right now. The question is how long that's going to remain in place and when Ottawa will actually truly get back to normal. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Ottawa. Amid the large rallies in support of the so-called Freedom Convoy and subsequent rally in Ottawa, small groups are gathering in the Okanagan with their own messages in praise of healthcare workers and scientific innovations, including vaccines. Members of Yay Science rallied on the corner of Abbott Street and Highway 97 in Kelowna today. They held up signs with slogans like, Thank you, healthcare workers, and Go Science. We're pro-vaccines and mandates as required. I don't know that we're pro-mandate per se, but we're not against them. The group also has a Facebook page, Yay Science Okanagan. They're determined to hold their rallies every Sunday for as long as they feel the need to. And coming up, a BC temple says a vigil held there is a violation. You're kicking out your own people out of their own places. Why those honoring an actor turned activist who recently died were kicked out of this Okanagan Gurdwara. Plus, the process for, for justice is not clear for us. The fight for answers and closure on this first ever day for commemorating air crash victims and their families. A group of Sikh activists is protesting after being unable to hold a candlelight vigil at a Gurdwara in the Okanagan. It was to honor the recent passing of a prominent Punjabi actor turned activist who led campaigns in support of the farmers' protest in India. Yasmin Gandam has more. A video showing police removing activists in the Sikh community from the temple as they were attempting to organize a candlelight vigil for Deep Sidhu, an Indian actor who died in a car crash on Tuesday, according to police officials. So there was an actor in India named Deep Sidhu and he supported our country a lot. There was a farm protest in India, and which was bad for all of our country, and he helped to get those laws back and suddenly there was an accident which led to his death and so we were here for just a candle vigil. Atul Verma says he was shocked to be removed from the temple with about a hundred other supporters and was told it was a private property because he thought it was a place of worship for everyone. Like a religious place anybody can come here. You have seen Sikh community helping out everybody everywhere and you're kicking out your own people out of their own places. You can own the land, but you can't own the God there, right? It's everybody's. The secretary of the temple justifies not allowing the vigil to be held there, explaining Sidhu was a political figure and there is no place for politics in a place of worship. Uh, he's a political person, so this place is a place for worship. 
So we don't belong to any political parties or, or any group. Just place for you know people come here and pray, and if they have some kind of political agenda, uh, they can have it somewhere else. If we have a council journal of India, they can go and do there. Temple is not a place for uh, for grievance. Verma hoping for an apology from temple leaders and how the situation was handled. And apologizing everybody for his behavior with us and for saying it's their property and get out of here. And calling cops for no reason. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. Today marks the first annual International Day for commemorating air crash victims and their families. To uh, uh, um, commemorate the memory of all the people, you know, all the all the, the beautiful lives that uh, we lost uh, in uh, um, atrocities like PS75 to MH17 and Air India. The Association of Families of Flight PS752 Victims, along with family members of the victims of Air India Flight 182 and Malaysian Airlines Flight 17, released a joint statement saying they continue to fight for answers regarding these tragedies. They say they have gone to the federal government with a handful of demands and are disappointed with the fact that most of them have not been met. We are not satisfied that we're about what, where we are. You know, we want to know the truth and we want to see justice. But so far, most of the questions that we had are, are, are unanswered and uh, uh, the process for, for justice is not clear for us. The group goes on to say in the statement that it's not too late to act and that the onus is on the international community and the affected countries to act swiftly to punish those responsible for the tragedies. And coming up next, Yvonne is back with the full forecast. But first, the extreme cold hitting Manitoba after blizzard and snowfall warnings. Stay with us. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A major pop culture celebration makes a comeback in Vancouver. We'll have more on the return of the Fan Expo in just a moment. But first, as most of us on the South Coast enjoy clear skies, Manitobans are digging themselves out after the latest in a string of winter storms blasted southern areas of the province more snow and closed highways across the region. After being closed for most of Saturday, both the Perimeter Highway and Trans-Canada between Portage La Prairie and Winnipeg reopened just late this morning. But a handful of highways do remain closed. Blizzard warnings came to end this morning, but most of northern Manitoba is now under an extreme cold warning. Environment Canada says bitter wind chills nearing minus 45 or worse will persist for most of this week. Further south overnight, wind chills of minus 40 are in the forecast. Yikes, as we bring in meteorologist <laughs> Yvonne Shell, reminder what much of the rest of the country deals with around this time of year. Yeah, the wind chill is extreme cold, and we've actually got an extreme cold warning for the northeastern corners of the province, and I'll have more on that in just a moment. And we've got this cool Arctic air that is going to settle across for us here in BC, and I'll show you some of those numbers and what we can anticipate, and of course your family to forecast in just a moment. Temperatures are currently sitting at 5. We've got a westerly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. It'll be breezy at times, especially overnight and continuing through the day for tomorrow. 
tomorrow. Bit of a blip in the forecast overnight tonight. It will be cold enough. Temperatures close to or hovering the freezing mark. We've got a bit of precipitation with a slight chance for a shower, 30% chance of a flurry, and that'll be overnight and in towards the morning hours. Should ease off, though, we've got a clearing and then we're underneath a mainly sunny sky. Highs tomorrow will be up to 5 degrees, and then that overnight low as we get into back to work and school on Tuesday will be down to minus 5, and we are going to see the potential with the wind chills into the minus double digits. So a heads up, cool Arctic air, that'll be the big weather story that we're following over the next few days, but it is going to start to dry out for many areas across the southern half of the province. We'll need to get through tomorrow morning first, especially along the south coast, southern tip of the island. There's even some instability this evening near Victoria. We could even see the potential for some hail, a few showers, and then a few flurries, especially for higher elevations. Snowfall, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, snowfall warning still in effect for the Allison Pass as well as the Coquihalla, and that's from Hope to Merritt with an additional amount between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Now, the extreme cold warning is for the northeastern corners. Heads up for the piece, there is that risk of frostbite with the wind chill minus 40 overnight and leading in towards tomorrow morning, and then through the day, the wind chill will be feeling closer to minus 30, so extreme cold for the northeastern corners. Chilly, though, for much of the central interior, minus double digits as highs for tomorrow. Along the coast, just above the freezing mark near Prince Rupert. And then the southern interior. So once again, along the Coquihalla as well as the Allison Pass, still seeing a significant amount of snowfall with an additional 5 and up to 10 centimeters. And much of the southern interior will still see that chance for some flurries and windy conditions tomorrow with gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. Chilly for tomorrow, a few flurries or a slight chance for some showers will be for the morning hours. Windy at times, though, we are going to see the potential with gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. But there are some breaks in there for a family day. And then chilly but dry as we get in towards our Tuesday onwards for the long range. Neetu, bundle up. All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, after a hiatus last year due to COVID-19, Fan Expo returned this year, much to the excitement of many pop culture enthusiasts. Last year, they didn't have the Vancouver Fan Expo, but it's great to be back here. Great to hang out with the cosplay community. It's just a ton of fun. Vancouver's biggest pop culture celebration welcomed back some big names this year, including Star Trek's William Shatner and the Trailer Park Boys. After two years, you can imagine there is lots of pent-up demand at the three-day event. The stars of Trailer Park Boys tell us it's good to be back and say it's always a surprise who will be at the expo. Everybody's been fantastic. I'm very excited. Everybody's dressed up, right? It's different things, so you don't know who you're going to meet. One minute you're talking to Pikachu, and the next minute you're talking to, you know, some kind of a horror movie villain. People want to come together and see each other dressed in the same costume, or find that familiar friendship through fandom. And again, it's very challenging to get that uh, through the virtual space. Very cool. And Pop culture great. enthusiasts in our day, we called them geeks. But <laughs> Yeah. Times have changed. In a good way. Exactly. All the same, isn't it? Uh, great to see you as well, Barry. What do you have coming up for uh, us? Speaking of geeks, is that what you're doing? <laughs> uh, well, the uh, Canucks, uh, they were horrible last night. One of their worst games they played this year. It kind of came out of nowhere, but uh, comments from the coach are always interesting to hear. So we'll hear from uh, Bruce Boudreau about that. NBA All-Star game also going on. Some early highlights from there. Uh, all coming up in a few minutes. All right. And for the record, you said it, not me. Thanks very much, Barry. <laughs> also ahead, tougher measures amid fears of an imminent invasion. And it will exact absolute harm for the Russian economy and their government. The latest on the Ukraine crisis as the number of Russian troops continues to increase. 
Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. Along the Ukraine-Russia border, where Moscow has now amassed nearly 200,000 troops, with intelligence suggesting at least half are in a position to strike. Diplomatic efforts have stalled for now, but the question remains whether the threat of sanctions on Russia will work to fend off, rather, an attack. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. Weeks of efforts to talk Russia down from the ledge have failed to produce results, but it's not stopping Western leaders from propping open the door to diplomacy. On Sunday, France's president spoke with the leaders of Russia and Ukraine, while the U.S. Secretary of State says the U.S. president is also willing to speak with Russia's leader in any format. It could signal that the West is growing more worried about Russia's refusal to draw back its military posture, worry that could be fed further, with Belarus announcing that it will continue military drills with Russian troops indefinitely. They were expected to wrap on Sunday, but Belarusian officials cited the situation in eastern Ukraine as reasoning to persist. But in those breakaway regions, it's widely reported to be Russian-backed rebels violating ceasefire agreements, which have more than doubled in recent days. That's prompting a growing call for sanctions to be levied on Russia, which the West has promised to be swift and severe. It is directed at institutions, in particular financial institutions and individuals, And it will exact absolute harm for the Russian economy and their government. Now, it's still unclear if or when Russia could decide to invade, despite U.S. officials believing it to be imminent. Originally, the intelligence community suggested it could happen during the Olympic Games, which have come to an end, with the White House believing that announcing Russia's moves before they're played could help stave off an attack. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Barry's back with a full sports cast after this break and later. I'd be happy to move this whole room somewhere. A BC man's lifelong toy collecting mission and how he wants to share it with the world. Don't miss the variety show of hearts on Global BC. Tune into Global BC's newscast on February 24th and 25th and meet some of the incredible children you've helped in 2021. Then don't miss the show of hearts telethon on February 26th, featuring special guests David Foster, Catherine McPhee, and Colin James. Learn about our connection to the magnificent orca at the Royal BC Museum exhibit Orcas Our Shared Future. Dive into the science, the currents of environmentalism, popular culture, and indigenous beliefs to gain a new appreciation of how orcas and humans are inextricably connected. Our BC is brought to you by London Drugs. Get your 2022 Pink Shirt Day merchandise now at London Drugs. All right, Barry's here for the full sports cast and starting off with some sore spots in the hockey world. Well, for the Canucks, you know, we, we yeah. praise them when they're good, but yes. when they're bad, we got to tell them. Exactly. Know, it's a good parent. All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, Canucks had the day off to uh, lick their wounds after their worst effort since Bruce Boudreau took over in early December, a flatter-than-flat 7-4 loss to the Ducks, and it wasn't really that close. Canucks host Seattle tomorrow night and best get cracking to get their game back in order. To no show like that against a divisional rival you're battling with uh, for a playoff spot is inexcusable. I think we should be, and I don't want to use the word embarrassed, but I mean, it just wasn't good enough by us tonight. Like you said, against a team in our division, you're back to full capacity, and and, uh, you want to play a heck of a game for your fans. And again, we just, you know, it was almost a letdown for us tonight, and and we can't have those, uh, especially going forward here if we're going to want to make a push. 
it's a woe is me mentality. It's not a, a tough, let's get, the, let's get out of this thing mentality. And if you have a woe is me mentality, uh oh, here we go again, like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh, for crying out loud, then we're not going to get anywhere. So that mentality has to change. And if it uh, hasn't changed today, it, it better change tomorrow. Yes, less Eeyore, more Tigger. All right, NHL tonight, Oilers and Wild. Edmonton playing its fifth game this week. They'd won the previous four, a perfect 5-0 and under new head coach Jay Woodcroft. But Edmonton, understandably weary, already down one nothing. Joel Erickson-Eck on the power play made it 2-0. A minute later, two-on-one break. Kevin Fiala with the pull, the drag, and the goal past Mike Smith. 3-0 Wild after just six minutes. They were up 4-0 when the Oilers... Finally get one back on the power play. Ryan Nugent Hopkins finds Evander Kane on the doorstep. Kane's been pretty productive so far. Five goals, four assists, playing his 11th game tonight with the Oilers. Second period now 6-1, but Tyler Benson, we have to show you this, the former Vancouver Giant captain, Edmonton boy, that's his first NHL goal, but the Oilers are taking it on the chin, 6-2 in the third. Golden Knights and Sharks, Vegas 0-2 with Jack Eichel in the lineup, but Eichel trying to change that. Vegas led 1-0 when Eichel finally breaks the ice, gets his first goal as a Golden Knight. That made it 2-0, and Vegas leads 3-0 over the Sharks in the third. One more NHL game, Hurricanes and Penguins. Sidney Crosby honored before the game for scoring his 500th career goal earlier this week. Second period, Sid with his 501st. He can still fire it. You don't see many slap shot goals from him, but that was a blast. Ties it 2-2 after two, but the Canes take over in the third. Jesper fast, living up to his name, scoring quickly just nine seconds into the period. Past Tristan Jari, 3-2 for the Canes. And then on the power play, Sebastian Ajo, one of the quiet superstars in the NHL. Now that is how you run a power play. Beautiful goal. His 22nd, Canes beat the Penguins. Four to three. Canada's Felix Auger-Aliassime in the finals of the Marseille Open, taking on Russian Andrei Rublev. Felix won his first ever singles title last week, playing the best tennis of his five-year career in the near court. Loads up the forehand, but he did drop the first set 7-5. Second set was tight. A lot of tremendous rallies. Felix with another huge forehand breaks Rublev to set at five-all. Key point at six-five. Deuce. Felix really looked like he was going to win this point, ran Rublev all over the court, but the Russian with some superb defense ends up winning the point at the net. Went to the tie break, and this is match point. Big serve Rublev, then the put away, so he wins Marseille, but Felix with another great week. He's off to Dubai now, where Novak Djokovic is in the field for the first time since 2022. Women's soccer from England, Canada, taking part in the Four Nations Arnold Clark Cup. Canada, Germany today. Canada coming off a one-all draw with England a few days ago. They strike early seventh minute. Janine Becky with the service. And defender Vanessa Gilles elevates and powers it in. Canada up 1-0. The Germans had some chances to tie. The best from Clara Buell, but a great diving save by Canadian goalkeeper Kaylin Sheridan. And Canada beat Germany for just the second time ever. They're 2-15 all-time versus the Germans. 1-0 the final. Canada play Spain in their final match Wednesday. If they win, they'll win the tournament. EPL, Man United and Leeds. And United opened uh, owned the opening half. Bruno Fernandes scoring here off the uh, beautiful feed from Jaden Sancho. 2-0, Man United at the half. But 
Those Manchester goals wiped away in mere seconds in the second half. Leeds scored twice in a 24-second span. Rodrigo Moreno equalizing either a brilliant shot or a cross that found a happy landing spot. 2-2. But United back on the attack. Jaden Sancho one more time tees it up for Fred, who blasted inside the near post. 4-2 United win. They remain fourth in the English Premiership. Four points behind third place Chelsea. Winter Olympics concluded today in Beijing. That is Summerland BC's Justin Cripps, four-man bobsled team. Cripps in the medal hunt, and he put down a great run under enormous pressure. It just comes down to hundreds of a second, literally, in this event. He won gold at the two-man at the 2018 Olympics, and he wins the bronze in the four-man in Beijing. So congrats to Justin Cripps and his crew. Final medal in the standings, the Norwegians dominate. 16 golds, that's a new single games record. Canada fourth overall with 26. Six, second highest total ever, matching 2010 Vancouver. And in the men's hockey gold medal game, the Finns beat Russia 2-1 for their first ever Olympic hockey gold. NASCAR season opener, the Daytona 500. Full house at Daytona Motor Speedway for the Great American Race. And as you might expect, a lot of crashes with that big field on that tight, uh, tight track, just nine laps from the finish. The number four car of Kevin Harvick gets into Kyle Larson. Multiple cars involved in the wreck. Good view of it from Harvick's in-car camera. Good news, though, nobody injured, but the race was red-flagged, which meant it was completely stopped while they cleaned things up. Comes down to the final lap of the race. Rookie Austin Sindrick in the number two car in the lead. The 23-year-old with a fantastic block, first of Ryan Blaney, and then over to get Bubba Wallace. There was a crash behind him, but Sindrick racing for the first time at the Daytona 500, wins it by an eyelash. Wallace with his second career, second-place finish, but Sindrick wins Roger Penske, his fifth Daytona 500. Final round of the Genesis Invitational from Riviera in L.A. Joaquin Neiman, the 23-year-old from Chile, has led from the start, opened with back-to-back 863s. Then on the eighth hole today, a short iron to seven feet. He would make that for birdie. But Colin Morikawa made a push. He's a California guy. Tenth hole, second shot at the short par four from 90 feet. Goes down for an eagle. Morikawa posts 17 under. But Neiman answers on the par 5 11th. His third shot off the green. And that goes down for an eagle. And Joaquin Neiman goes on to win for the second time on the PGA Tour. 19 under par. Two-shot win at the Genesis in Los Angeles. No Canadians made the weekend in L.A. And NBA All-Star Game from Cleveland. It's Cleveland's very own LeBron James. Team LeBron versus Team Kevin Durant. Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors on Team LeBron. Van Vliet, first undrafted player to play in this All-Star Game since 2006. And he does what he does best. Drains the three ball. Uh, Steph Curry putting on a three-point clinic. He should get four for this one, 30-plus feet. And then a moment later, this one from about 28 feet. Incredible talent. Then, uh, Job Morant with the spin alley oop dunk from Trey Young. Plenty of highlights always at the All Star game, and we'll have full highlights tonight at 11. Neethi, that's it. Back to you. All right, thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with a variety of vintage toys a BC father has spent a lifetime collecting. Stay with us.
Many BC homes are filled with countless collectibles, so it's likely only a few people who could consider accepting one of the biggest vintage toy collections around, a collection that took a new Westminster man a lifetime mass. Here's Jay Durant with tonight's This is BC. Kids love these. I see. see that? It's taken 35 years of collecting to fill these shelves. Vintage editions only, nothing digital, no electronics, but all kinds of toys you can wind up or turn loose and watch the excitement unfold. There he goes. In the stadium-style showroom, there are some not-so-state-of-the-art toys, but that's the point, just the <laughs> classics. As a kid growing up in you know the 50s and 60s, you had to have a lot of imagination for a lot of this stuff, right? That's how they work. It all began when Ken Stevens started poking around garage sales. Soon he was bringing home all kinds of collectibles for his kids as his interest in toys grew. You say interest, is that a polite way of saying it? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> they kind of participated in that obsession through me. We started overflowing into the hallways. Uh, we had cabinets in our living room. Uh, it's kind of overtaking our house, basically. Look at this. Building with clowns. You can make a lot of incredible finds at vintage toy shows. Over the years, Stevens has dug up some gems this way. Many others he bought on eBay. The patent's right on here in 1873. Ray guns and yo-yos, assorted monkeys, and pinball games. Look at that, new high score. And all kinds of daunting tests of skill that make the grandkids cringe. Did it, oh, there you go. It didn't keep their inches very long, let's put it that way. You may have seen part of Ken's collectibles at YVR. Thousands of Disney figurines that have been capturing children's attention. Oh my. At this point, he would love to donate the entire collection to be displayed somewhere for everyone to enjoy. But so far, no takers. I'd be happy to move this whole room somewhere. I'd do all the, the physical work, the mail, set it all up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so for now, the games room at his old office stays open. Oh, yeah. And he can teach the grandkids all about ramp walkers and jacks, how to play marbles, and even execute a around the world. Oh, I still got it. Yeah, still got it. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, you can email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Fantastic. And it sounds like the temperature is going to take a dip. Might be good to stay in and play some games. Yeah, it would be a great spot. Uh, we are going to see uh, temperatures, especially overnight. That's Tuesday overnight into Wednesday into the minus teens. Tomorrow morning, a bit of instability, but a clearing for the afternoon for our family day. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne and Barry. And thank you all for sharing some of your weekend with us. Krista Dow will be here at 11.